Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A. Singler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. Hi, guys, it's A. I am recording this intro because today, just now, we recorded uh, our Story Smack live on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler and facebook.com slash Scott Sigler and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. That's right. It's akin to our Sigler in place that we do every Tuesdays and Thursdays, but also a spiritual relative to our podcast that was video or audio only of storysmack.com or storysmack. Um, that you guys have been hearing for the last 52 episodes. We forgot to do this intro in the live show, which we'll start to do two weeks from now on the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought we would just jump in here, explain that to you, and also encourage you to come and join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays at, uh, like I said, facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, mm-hmm. twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler. And youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. And it is every Tuesday and Thursday throughout the rest of the pandemic on uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You're going to have to do the math to figure out what yes. that is for you. Um, but we hope you guys join us. And, uh, and if you want to hear Story Smack live and watch us live and see the clips that we play and all the cool stuff we do, that's every other Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern time. So you may hear a couple of gaps in this one here and there where we are playing a clip. Don't worry about it. Just listen and then come back and Hello, join us everyone. Live. Yeah. Happy Thank Saturday. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the show. Saying it to the right, correct camera. Mm. The right camera is actually this camera. The left camera is this camera. So there you go. We are going to review the movie Vast of Night. Review might be, I guess we do reviews, right? Isn't that what yeah, we do, we well, so we do the Story Smack. And the Story Smack, as you guys all know, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Um, and it started, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, something like that, where uh, we are we come from two different, he comes from sort of what we've started recently calling, like he's the wizard behind the curtain and I'm the people of Oz. So we see things differently sometimes when we uh, watch movies. So we thought we might share that with you guys. Yes, I tend to break down everything about every story I read, every TV show I watch, every movie I watch, kind of analyze the nuts and the bolts of everything. Um, And I've had a hard time just straight up enjoying stuff. And A, on the other hand, is more of the, she's the one who sits back and takes it all in. So we kind of, uh, she helps me see things the way a Ozian would see it, as she says. I'm I'm the wizard behind the curtain in Oz, looking at all the mechanic, looking at all the levers and everything. And sometimes I need A to be like, "Dude, that was just fun. You don't have to worry about yeah. it. That was just that was just." Fun. I mean, that said, though, uh, we are watching something. We're not sure if we're in a story smack. It is a movie you have probably seen before if you're anywhere near our ages. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those things where you can't go home again, and it, it is. So much different than we thought it was, and not in like a you know it's it's it was casually racist back then or anything, nothing like that, just terrible. Uh, and we were like, it was interesting because I was like, okay, you so tell, how do you does tell this? Them what it is or no? I don't know. I mean, they w- okay, so we were watching Spaceballs, <laughs> Spaceballs, and uh, and I guess now we will story smack it. And it's for us, it was fascinating because there wasn't there. It, it is the wholesome movie you remember and silly and fun. Yeah. Crazy, but it's also really, really hard to believe it got greenlit ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, that's a, a chance for me to sort of see the wizard behind the, the perspective of the wizard behind the curtain. 
All right. So, uh, real quick, A's going to tell you about the drink we're drinking. And on our Tuesday and Thursday uh, Sigler in Place, we post the drink recipe for you at scottsigler.com on Monday. So, if yeah. you choose to make it and drink it with us, you can. If you choose to drink your own alcoholic beverage, you can. If you choose to drink no alcoholic beverage, non-alcoholic, or no beverage, or even we gravy, don't care. we don't even care. You if it's could gravy. chuggle a gravy. It's to put it in that little swan, you know, like Martha Stewart, just buck, 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 go crazy. But so we have this drink. And I don't think so, it's going to go well. No, yeah, she was neither saying, one of us think it. So we were gifted when we got married. We were gifted this um, this subscription to Shaker and Spoon, which is everything but the alcohol to make fun, cool drinks. And so like this required lime seltzer, which they sent in a bottle. And one of them required lemon, sliced lemons, and they send that too. It's super fun. However, this drink is called a green thumb cooler. I'm a girl who's crazy for pickled things and pickles, pickles especially. Yep. This smells a lot like a pickle, but it, only alcohol that's in it is Saint Germain, which, if you haven't had, is quite sweet. Oh my goodness, we're gonna oh, try oh, it. We got some new, new, new a holes coming. In. We'll block them. Here we go. Here we go. Tink. Oh lord. Okay. That's not nearly as bad as I thought. It's not nearly good. <laughs> I think that's a face I've never made my whole life before. It's like a grainy, pickly type thing going that on. That totally Blech. tastes like Blech. you're drinking seltzer that's pickle brine flavored. But my wife does have my back because she brought me this as well. <laughs> so just in case I can't handle the pickle brine, I'm going straight for the good old-fashioned Midwestern Bud Light. So because the, um, the, the shaker and spoon comes with instructions and everything, and it's... Um, it's a subscription box. We might be drinking these on Saturday at Sigler and Place, and if if we love it, we'll talk about what's in it. Um, but because you would need these strange things, like a salted green gar- garden shrub, which is a little vial of a of a liquid that you mix in with it. Uh, that's what go. a shrub is, and then uh, celery bitters and stuff like that. We're not going to publish in advance because you would have to have it this does, to do it. It does taste like there's shrubbery in that. Oh. Definitely tastes like pickle-flavored seltzer. <laughs> that is definitely the drinks who say, Nih. no, no. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to world. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. It is on uh, Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, it's free to watch. I don't. Mm-hmm. We don't know any other way to watch it. So this may not. This episode may not be for everyone. But we're going to get into it. Do you want to give do your movie? Yes. Movie dude voice. <clears throat> movie dude voice. Uh, now sound is gone, uh, according to Tracy. Tracy says sound is gone. Where are you getting that one? Uh, right Kid? underneath Shelba. Oh, was so, gone. Was gone. Oh, no, that's right. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's just the opening. I'll fix that later. Just the opening banner does not have sound, apparently, but we'll get that adjusted. So this movie, two high school kids, Everett and Faye, leave the game and walk across the deserted town to their nighttime jobs. He hosts a nightly radio show. She mans the town switchboard. Once ensconced at their jobs, they realize that something strange is going on. That's so terrible. <laughs> that, did that one come from uh, that come from Wikipedia or that? Uh, come yeah, from? I think I. I no, I'm not. A, no, maybe it didn't. I don't. I don't really know. Maybe where. IMDb. Let me bring yeah. you down a little bit. A little bit. There. Yeah, I got a little too close. There you go. A little too, close, flew to too close to the sun. Flew too close to the sun. So what we're gonna do, guys, is we're going to watch the trailer. Uh, beware, we are still learning how this deck works. The mixing deck for OBS. The, the software gizmo. Review, the gizmo. So it is possible. It is possible that this may be very loud. Be prepared. Here we go. Here is the trailer for Vast of Night. Stop 
smiling. Get in! It's outside of town! Come on, come on, come on! Hey, come on! So that is a very, you, you get the gist of it right out of the gate. The trailer shows it is very old timey. Excuse me. <laughs> it's got a very old timey feel, but um, it, it's it's so cool. I mean, uh, if we don't give thumbs up, I guess. What, we need a review system for this, actually. It gets it gets five out of five Krakens for me. Five out of five Krakens. Yeah. No, I, that's not a bad one. I think it's interesting because even from a lot of the things that are... Um, that were really charming to me about this movie, you already have seen. Uh, I I love the the um, Carl Earl on Facebook uh, said it sort of feels like Pleasantville but a horror movie or Pleasantville meets Alien the horror movie, and uh, it, that's not wrong. This sort of idyllic, probably never really existed, uh, but but dewy, gauzy kind of look back at the 1950s yeah, and yeah. the uh, burgeoning fascination with UFOs is totally present there. And uh, I think that carries through the whole movie. And that was, uh, you know, th- there was a lot of UFO movies back in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, and, of course, the, the classic um, War of the Worlds. Yeah, mm-hmm. War of the yeah. Worlds goes back to the yeah, that, that 20s, was radio. 30s radio. But yeah. uh, the first War of the Worlds movies back then, and a lot of movies, and a lot of you know Project Blue Book, and a, a bunch of other things that I made the dates are off, wrong on that. But a, a lot of movies that when we watch them now are just horrible because people did not know as much about movie making, didn't have the equipment they had. So a lot of UFO movies were very interesting back then, really low B movie, C movie horror flicks. This was. This is an indie flick, but mm-hmm. it was shot so amazingly well. So I also like, um, if you saw the movie Brick, which was yeah, the first movie similar. I ever saw that Rain um, Johnson created. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and uh, that, that vibe, that cool idea, I want to capture this old-timey feeling. And, but being young enough that, it, that they're not recreating it, they're trying to capture what they believe it was. I think that bleeds into this really um, quite a lot, that same uh, vibe. So let's go over some of the info. This, uh, According to Wikipedia, director Andrew Patterson is the director. He mm-hmm. says the film came out of one of the ideas he had of the previous, like he carried this idea for 10 years, which simply said 1950s black and white New Mexico UFO landing. Oh and that was the gist of it. Yeah, and that is a thing that happens to you all the time. All like the time. There's, We have conversations all the time. You guys know there's a there's a ton of stories uh, kind of bopping around in in scott's head and every once in a while like for example the like he has this idea germinating about take your kids to work day yeah which which is that same sort of thing like every once in a while you'll come back to him and be like see if this was a, if this was somebody's job and they brought their kid to work like that can would I, be a whole I, different story can i tell them the whole tagline for that then sure but you're the boss so that's yeah. up to you yeah. yeah well this is an idea i've been carrying for a while i've done a partial outline a partial script but this happens a lot like if i get time off uh we forgot to introduce ourselves just in case any of you are new to the world of siglerism uh my name uh, hold on let me have 
Go ahead, A. <laughs> my name is, at the moment, it is A.B. Kovacs. It is soon to be A.B. Singler, as soon as I get my paperwork. Uh, I'm the director of Doom at MTZ Entertainment. I am the creative adjacent. I do the non, non-writing, non-marketing, yes. non-Scott things. And Story Smack is a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. I am number one New York Times bestselling author, Scott Singler. And once I was abducted by a UFO, and we will not discuss yeah. if or where I was probed. No. We will not talk about that at Sir. all. I think that was probably a golf cart in college. <laughs> you lived was... in a frat house. It was probably a golf cart. In I did college. not get probed by a golf cart. I that don't know. Sounds they, incredibly they, uncomfortable. They seem like they have left something in we your did, ankle. We did steal golf carts a couple of times. I'm not, and there's I'm not this little. Lie. Maybe that's a chip of some sort in oh, your I, ankle. One of my permanent athletic injuries is getting out of a golf cart and spraining my ankle so bad. <laughs> it's never, it's never quite healed. Four years of football. Four years of wrestling. No major significant injuries other than chipped teeth and things like that. Were you then, even uh, golfing? Yes, I was golfing. Oh, at least you were golfing. I used to be a, a reporter, a sports reporter. So I would go golf in our small community, go to different golf courses and write reviews on golf courses. And that was how I got to golf for free. And then when I stopped being a sports reporter and found out how much it cost to actually golf, I gave up the game. It's, it's very expensive. The movie I have in my head, this thing I've carried for 10 years, is... Uh, Die Hard on Take Your Daughter to Work Day in a genetic engineering lab. That's basically, that's the whole thing. So like Die Hard meets Daddy Daughter Day meets <laughs> the Umbrella Company or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty messed up. But this happens to a lot of creatives. You get that, that kernel of an idea and you are either too busy at the time to do something with it. You don't have the resources to do something with it, or it's just not quite there yet or hasn't captivated your attention. It's fighting against something else. What happens with me is an idea like this UFO movie that Mr. Patterson had is it will, it will stay there and you gradually, uh, it gradually creates other bits of story Mm -hmm. for me. And I guess I've got this. I had the take your daughter to work day in a diehard type environment. That'd be kind of crazy. And then gradually like, well, what's the marriage like between that couple? And then, okay, well, what if there was some kind of mutant monster type thing? Old school B horror movie. You You gradually accumulate things and eventually like, okay, now I've got enough to jump in and get started. And that's probably what happened with him. Yeah, exactly. And he, um, also the, that same, uh, germination of an idea uh, is also something that I have a lot of respect for Robert Rodriguez. If you are not yet familiar with Robert Rodriguez, we will at some time for sure probably cover him because he's one of my very favorite um, directors. And uh, when he did his super, super duper indie film, uh, El Mariachi, he was the director. He was um, also the screenwriter and he made money for doing for making that movie by being an inpatient phase one clinical trials uh, uh, subject. So yeah. he left home, he went and, and lived there. In, and the lead who played El Mariachi, he met in this month, month-long lockdown, uh, and he shared script ideas and whatever. And then by the time they both got out of that, he had made you know, like four grand 20-something years ago, uh, and uh, that was enough to get El Mariachi made. I uh, bought my first base amp. By volunteering for medical experiments. So I can relate to that. Uh, but it's interesting. Uh, I don't think this is quite exactly the same, but uh, it's spiritually the same. Uh, Mr. Patterson, Andrew Patterson, he made, he self-financed this film, which uh, spent was about a million dollars to make the production. Um, and he self-financed it by doing... Um, 
commercials and shorts for the Oklahoma City Thunder, among other people. He lived in, obviously, in Oklahoma City. And so he was honing his skills as a filmmaker and making money to make his feature film debut. And he debuted this at Slamdance. And Cr- that rec- crushed Slamdance. Like yeah, he won. won he won Slamdance yeah. in 2019 with this. And... Uh, and that requires that your production budget be less than a million dollars, a million dollars or less. And they're quite, um, they're they're quite conscientious about that. So strangely enough, it's hard for me to believe, but I I think he really did make this gorgeous, lush movie for less than a million dollars. It's amazing. It seems that way. It's looking like, as far as we can tell, it has a budget of about seven hundred grand. Is that what you uh, discovered? That was the budget. Yeah, that was. They went into it. They spent about a million dollars overall, but they started production with seven hundred thousand dollars to get the town, the actors. And the working switchboard. And we have um, a great clip from this movie to show you in just a couple minutes. A clip that exemplifies the uh, very innovative, groundbreaking directing style of this gentleman. And something that doesn't happen very often in Hollywood. Not just the director has commentary, but all the cameramen, the cinematographer. It's wonderful to watch uh, somebody spread the wealth and show how things got done. Because everybody wants a little bit of attention. Kudos for mm-hmm. their, for their for work. Sure, you know? Of course, of course. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, they were also budget conscious and they're looking for the right location. Now, you may think, if you've watched this, you may think, well, they built that set somewhere. That can't be a real town. It's a real town. It's Whitney, a small town in Hill Country, Texas. They shot the whole thing in 17 days back in September of 2016. So this is, uh, I've tried several times to put together a script that A&I could fund and shoot or we could get moderate budget to fund and shoot, what we call the one location shoot. So I've, like Blair Witch or Saw, which was largely largely a one location shoot, they did it in one building. If you can keep it to one location, and that saves you all the costs of transporting your equipment and setting things up over and tearing them down over and over again. So the, the quicker you do it, the cheaper it costs, and the fewer locations you have, the, the cheaper it's going to be. And they managed to do all of this in one town. So as A said, it does really have that small town, gauzy feel to it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that you've, you see this a lot. It's, it's not, it's, it, uh, this is very, very... Um reminiscent of the twilight zone it's not in black and white but this idea that we're dropping into a tiny town that's i this 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 old backwater idyllic there's still a main street there's still you know a a working gas station that is also a service station where they wear white Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. like that um all those things i think is is very much um not present actually in this movie but very much evoked and part of that is this little town that they found to film in what was it called Whitney Whitney Whitney, in Hill Country in Texas did have a storefront and did have a high school gymnasium that mostly fit I did read something where they had to pull up the actual basketball court because it was with modern rules and they did the math of if they just pulled physically pulled it out put in the old one and then put back in the new one Versus the CGI to make it look correct, mm-hmm. uh, they just pulled it out. It cost about twenty thousand dollars to pull out the old uh, basketball flooring, okay, fix it to be uh, year appropriate, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then fix it back when they were done. That's so, amazing! Yeah, isn't That's that cool? Amazing. Uh, we're going to go over the cast a little bit right now. Let's go to. We're still. Like I said, we're getting used to this system. Oops. <laughs> I, he was definitely not in it, I don't think. Okay, hold but on, But he's guys. a good-looking gentleman. And this has screwed up on us again. So we're going to go back to Maine real quick. Yeah. You want me to just talk about it? 
yeah, let's just talk about the cast. I put a lot of information in there on the cast. Go for it. Um, let's see. Uh, we have, oh, so the there are two main leads. I should start with that. There's um, uh, the gentleman who you saw who's like, no, what, ask more questions. That His name is Everett. And then the young lady who you saw who was working the um, switchboard, her name is Faye. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Faye is, I, I think they're both the sort of co-leads, I think, right? So, uh, but they're also, they're, this, they're in the same high school, but they're not in the same grade, I would guess. And uh, they're both kind of geeks. But this is, um, uh, Faye Crocker is played by an actor named Sierra McCormick. And you probably will not have heard of her no she's um, uh, she's uh, i listed a bunch of the stuff she did there i put her bio in there if you want to oh, share that with the people sierra mccormick was born in Asheville, north carolina and grew up in palm springs california she began performing in film and television at a young age Whoop, have to turn the page uh, <laughs> and had a number of roles on different network tv shows throughout the late 2000s including are you smarter than a fifth grader is that really a role i, uh, I guess so i don't know i don't know uh, but i guess it could be um Criminal Minds, I hopefully she was not playing a corpse, like often first-time <laughs> actors do. Supernatural, Monk, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I have two friends who are super-duper crazy for Monk, and apparently, mm-hmm. uh, oh no, that's psych. Never mind. Okay. I don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Um, later, she worked on larger studio films, including Land of the Lost and 20th Century Fox's Ramona and Beezus. That was a huge, huge, huge hit. <laughs> um, from two thousand, I'm screwing. They might have been a great. I don't know anything about it. Um, from 2011 to 2013, she started was a regular, uh, a series regular on the TV show Ant Farm. Farm, and in 2014, starred in the horror film Some Kind of Hate, uh, which just because of the name I want to watch. And uh, it, she was nominated for a Fright Meter Award. There we go. That's her? That's, that's her. her? Yay! Now, this is her. She's 23, I think I wrote down. And she was very convincing as a as a high schooler. Uh, in Vastamite. Yes, yeah, she really was. I'm amazed that she's 23. Now, here is another clip, uh, a picture of her in another movie where she looks... Oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> can't can't buy a break, you guys. Yep. Ah. Here we go again. Where she apparently looks a lot older, I'm guessing, or a lot more herself. Well, let's see if we can do this. Oh, my word, my there word. There she is. We'll do this I'm manually. Go- I'm going to guess that's some kind of hate. <laughs> it's some kind of horror movie. I mean, before she cuts yeah. her own throat, she should finish that gummy bear. And then here she is with her fancy pants actress picture, looking uh, looking awesome, looking awesome. Yeah, she's, oh, wow, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she absolutely, and, and if you watch this movie, or if you have watched this movie, let us uh, know in the comments, um... She absolutely captures the innocent essence of a high schooler from a tiny little town who's probably a little geeky or whatnot. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. She, she did does a great it job. such did a great job. Such a great job. Let's go over Mr. Uh, Mr. Horowitz there, Abe. Okie doke. Uh, so, Jake Horowitz is, uh, he played Everett. That's, that's Everett. him. Mm-hmm. And that's him in character. Uh, he was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He made his New York theater debut off Broadway in the multi award winning production of Our Town. Oh, I love Our Town. Yes, a big Directed fan. Big yeah, fan. by David Cromer. His recent project film, uh, recent film projects include, of course, The Vast of Night, Adam Bloom, Agnes, Castle Freak. And Julie Taymor's A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I'm also down to watch since she did such a cool job with The Lion King. Oh, my God. I saw some clips of that. Uh, Is it Crazy Pants? Crazy Pants. Uh, we're yeah. going to have to watch it because I know you love Shakespeare. But yeah. it's go- like just, just the trailer from learning about this gentleman was 
friggin' gorgeous. A lot of stuff with like dark stages and just yeah. white sheets, and then they're casting all this film out of the white sheets. And that that's moving. very, very. It's wild. It's, that's very on brand and, and a calling card for Julie Taymor, who is the producer director, I guess. Here, um, she did a pup. A puppet, a stage version with puppets of uh, the Lion King, which makes it sound like it's uh, Muppets on stage. But when I say puppets, I mean like, you know, taller than Big Bird, made giraffes, lions, whatever. It's very, very cool and worth watching. So this, I have one for you. Ready? Ready? Mr. Horowitz. Let's go back to actors. Sorry. Mr. Horowitz here. Is that uh, Mr. Horowitz? That's Mr. Horowitz. Holy Jake. kittens. Yeah, that's Jake Horowitz. What is happening? Take that on. is definitely not Everett. I need a... Whoo! <laughs> Wait a minute. Got that, Sorry, got Sunday that whole, guy. Got that dreamy. Hi, Jenny. Like, What's up, girl? Hey, girl. Have Hi, you Danny. seen my movie? Hey, girl. He also, I'm into UFOs. Hey, girl. You like science? <laughs> okay. Also, I will answer your question in a second. I was ill-prepared for this. Okay. Ill-prepared. Um... But we just finished watching, and I know some of you guys are struggling through the first season of Schitt's Creek. We just finished watching the oh, entire series. So we also so struggled through the first season, and then in, for, in season episode thir- or season one, episode thirteen, it just takes off, and the rest of it sings. And this guy looks like the naughty Hello Ten version <laughs> of Ted that <laughs> yeah. I would like to meet. He like he's a, a like little Ted. like he could be a nice guy, but he's probably well, he's not, not. He's not entirely a nice guy, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so. Um, uh, a, we are watching a show called Manifest right now, which we may story smack. We've watched the first oh, full yeah. season. I've We're been working. It. I've been yep. working on a TV show pitch, and uh, they suggested that Manifest was kind of the structure they're looking for. I'm like, cool, we'll jump in. And I, I didn't think I'd like it, but I, I do, I do like it. And a, do you know what role this gentleman played in Manifest? I don't. And I, we definitely. When you were told, you were like, oh, yes, right? No, I saw it in his IMDb page. You would have never guessed in a million Okay, years. but have we met that character? Yes. He's in episode two. He is the jewelry store owner's son. He sure is, but he was much smarmier there. And so in that guy, he was like a he was like a nudgy bad guy there in that. Yeah, in yeah, that. Very, yeah very no, I would never guy. have guessed. Hi, Tiny. Bye, Tiny. One more cast member that we will cover. This is Mr. Bruce Davis, who uh, was Billy. And Billy in the movie is nothing more than a phone voice. But it is... The, they use Billy in the context that they do a lot of things in this show, which is very, very long, single-camera held shots with no cuts and no editing. Some of them as long as nine minutes. Wait, so he narrates those? He's the Billy. He's the voice of the guy yeah, with the story. Yeah, this is that. Billy. I was going to say, he was what, definitely not in Vast of and Night, and I am wrong. What a bio he has. Prejudiced to this. vision. That's ableist. Visionist. <laughs> Bruce Davis hails from Oklahoma City, where he was born to Lloyd and Esther, Glover Davis, February 13th, 1963. He was primarily raised in Oklahoma, but he also lived in Los Angeles briefly after his family moved there to seek employment. He was enlisted in the U.S. Navy, served his country from 83 to 87. He was stationed in the San Francisco Bay Area aboard the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise, go Star Trek. After receiving an honorable discharge from the Navy, he moved back to Oklahoma City, where he was accepted in the Oklahoma City Police Department Academy in September of 87. He is a 27-year veteran of the Oklahoma Police Department and has reached the rank the police lieutenant. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from the University of Central Oklahoma, and he's stu- been studying acting for film, advanced camera techniques, and the Meisner technique, which I don't know what that is. I can tell you if you'd like. At the Actors Factory in Norman, Oklahoma. He was in a movie called, which I now have to watch. It's called Jurassic Games, uh, and this movie looks absolutely ludicrous. It is a bunch of convicts who are on who have a death sentence 
But if they're the last survivor in a VR game where they are placed onto an island full of VR dinosaurs, they get to live. But if I they like die, if they die a, in the island, they die in real life too. Isn't it sort of like a Hunger Games? Isn't uh, not Hunger That's, Games? What's the other one? The uh, cube one, the one with the maze. It's a, Maze Runner. Yeah, Maze Runner. It's more like Hunger Games, I think, and it's literally called Jurassic Games. So they're Me. like Jurassic Park, Hunger Games, bunch of old people, not old people, I will but also not quite say, as young. Let's um, kill them. Let's kill them. Andrew Patterson, our director, is an Oklahoma born and bred, Oklahoma City born and bred guy. So it is entirely possible that they knew each other from either the circuit or whatnot. And if anybody is interested, the Meisner technique is what we know as the method. Eventually, we call the method acting method. And it's, oh, that's all. okay. Yeah, and 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 uh, Meisner was one of the best. Um, it's not, it, yeah, it's not bad now. Oh, I'm it, sorry. It got a little watered down. A little watered down. It's all right, we'll try it again. All. It's also the, the rim has some kind of spiciness. It's on all it. about it's the rim. Lot. Yep. Okay. Ooh, yeah, and Jim says his voice made him sound a lot older. I agree with you. Oh, it's great. A lot older. Totally. It, there, there's a couple of uh, the the two leads did an amazing job, and then I think uh, Billy. The voiceover, the this movie places a huge emphasis on sound design. And as a guy who's into sound and sound design and music and podcasting and all the gear, you could you could that's being behind the curtain again, uh, the wizard behind the curtain. You could see a lot of cool things they were doing with sound, sound, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the cinematography. And we're going to get to that that clip. They did some weird stuff in this movie. Like there are scenes where it gradually fades out. Mm-hmm. And you just hear voices or sound over an all-black screen. There are spaces and spots where it shifts to black and white, to green mm-hmm. black and white. There's mm-hmm. two instances where it shifts to a small TV on top, like an old-school 40s TV. And especially when they're at the switchboard, there's there's it, it, the 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 narrative of the movie moves forward with uh, the conversation and the interaction, and the scene itself, what you see, does not change at all. And Overwhelmingly speaking, I understand that movies are a visual medium, but they're technically a mixed medium, obviously very visually forward. But most movies, it's the other way around, right? Like the scene doesn't move on unless the actors and or or the set moves on. And in this case, Faye is just at the keyboard and lots is happening in the big wide world, not just uh, interacting with her, which is, of course, definitely how movies move forward, but also like in in and around in her house where she has a, a baby sister or cousin or something who's there and then outside whenever it is coming to get her. And it's it's a pretty a pretty interesting uh, thing. We have a couple of um, visually impaired friends. Uh, you guys know Joshua the Jedi. He is completely blind and and he uh, it's interesting to me that this was one of the first times that I thought about, like, he is getting exactly the same um, interaction with this movie that I am in this particular scene because it's the sound and the and the yeah. language and all that really that's moving cool. it forward. It was very cool, yeah. Really cool. All right. Now we're going to go to this other super cool clip. Again, I'm going to do my best to monitor the volume. I'm relatively new to this type of stuff after I just bragged about being a sound. <laughs> I'm into sound design, you guys. But here we go. Now, this was... Go back to the main for a second. This was the first clip in this film that absolutely blew us away and had us wondering, how did they do that? Was this CGI? Was this miniatures? Was this real? It can't all be real. Going over because it's this incredibly incredibly long shot where they take one camera, move it across the whole town. So I looked this up, uh, and this is from uh, Amazon Studios, did this as a promo. So now we're going to take a look at it. Go to clips, and here we go. 
It's very dark. I'm sorry about that. I'm Miguel Littinman, cinematographer of The Past of Night. This drone shot was completely captured on camera, manually operated. No drones. Wow. It starts with the camera move forward. Then it's given to another gimbal operator, so Marcus Ross. Yep. This is Marcus Ross, executive producer on The Bass of Night, and was also the camera and gimbal operator. We started practicing the shot about six months before we started shooting, trying to figure out a device that would get me across town with the camera. Then we found this go-kart in town and borrowed it from a local <laughs> preacher, and it worked out great. Go-kart. I'm Nathan Price, and I'm the go-kart driver for the one season film, The Bass of Night. So at this point, we're going about 25 miles an hour, and we start our first left turn into this field. The problem we had to deal with was having all this weight on the front right of this really lightweight go-kart. It, uh, it didn't like to turn left, ever. And the whole sequence is almost nothing but left turns. And then you add on to that that we're going through these really bumpy fields and we can't really see. We had to get to where we could just drive the whole route based off of muscle memory and be able to react quick enough. I'm Rodrigo Tomaso, visual effect designer and supervisor. So the main challenge was mixing three different locations. CGI was used for creating the three camera transitions. The first transition happens at the end of this backyard. So along this transition, we are seeing not only CG trees, but also a full CG background, while we adapt the camera pan movement in the go-kart. I love it, look at that. And there's a person that's hiding in front of this car on the right. And as we pull up, I'm going to hand the movie off to them right here, and they will walk it inside the gym. Are you kidding? At this moment, there is another full green screen in the doorway, beyond these people cheering. The most complex camera blending is the following that happens when the camera enters the ship. Oh my goodness! God, I wish Howard Dinatale was on this chat. The effects executive producer of The Bass of Night. We were first approached by Andy, who could help him accomplish his unique vision for his movie. So we came up from Argentina and did the location scout several months before production. This involved camera department, production design, grid, and electric all working together. So, like magicians, we use many visual forms from the full camera capture of the entire film with only a few relay points like walking, then the go-kart, then walking, then the mini-jeep, or walking so that the shot will be continued. This whole time I've been wearing the rig support system for the Movi, but we replaced the straps on the front of it with some little bungee cords we bought. This way I still had support from the rig, but we were able to pull the Movi off of it to hand off easily between operators. There's a couple guys behind me that come up and unhook the bungee cords, wow. and now I'm able to just walk the Movi over to the stands and pass it over the wall to the person on the other side. <laughs> To align the shim interior deck with a steer outdoor location, we have to use 3D mapping techniques to match both takes. Sure. So this is my favorite part of the shot. It goes from a crane that booms down, and we end up going under it with the go-kart and catching it at speed. Oh That's my gosh. That's insane. Catching it at speed. Are you And then right behind us has another camera operator and the first AC who's pulling focus. They are going to jump off the gator and run over to me on foot, and I'm going to hand the movie off to them right here. This was our best handoff. For me, by far, the most important thing about this shot, and in general, is the audience not thinking about the technique used 
in no, its creation. That's no, all we thought about. Rather feeling touched that's by a, the poetry of the genre. Oh, yeah, okay. We try to invite the audience in so that this shot can be felt as a narrative solo of the film. I like that narrative solo of the film. That's brilliant. What a brilliant... And what a way to use that. Now, if you think about that, we have been talking about... This does not feel like a $700,000 production or a $1 million finished product. And that is for sure what it is. And this is part of the reason why. Because Andrew and the DP, those people spent seven months that they didn't get paid for while they were getting paid to do other things. Mm -hmm. Andrew especially making money to make this movie practicing that obsessively so that they could do it by muscle memory. Mm. So that stuff, that sweat equity, and at Empty Set, we know all about sweat equity. <laughs> a, a, a goodly amount of you know about us and sweat equity, right? Yeah, like, you know that we, we – and you guys join us for Hell Week. Like, we have pride of ownership and all of that stuff, and that is one of the things that made that budget go so far, without question. That is uh, it for episode number 53 of Story Smack. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, where can they talk, go? take it from here? Because I read your part of the script like you a dumbass. You did. It is episode 53 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us both online at facebook.com slash storiesmack and at youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. Easy for me to say. And at twitch. twitch see, I screwed up too. Twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler. We would love to see your comments in any of those places. Uh, in addition to Story Smack, we do a twice weekly live stream called Sigler in Place. Wherever you're watching this right now, you can watch Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We do it all the time. We do it for free. Yeah, yeah. we do it every, every day that ends with a T until this pandemic thing is all done. And then um, we are much more interactive on that cast with you guys in the chat room. So mm-hmm. come on and join us. We make drinks. We answer your questions, all that sort of stuff. Um, and last, uh, if you don't know, Scott releases an unabridged episode of a serialized novel every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. Radio and more. You can find out everything you need to know by going to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for all the links you need. We do hope that you do subscribe to hear Scott's books and more Story Smack goodness like this and all the Sigler in Place fun uh, to get you through this pandemic safely. And uh, until the next episode, sir. We will talk to you all real soon. Real soon. five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.